Do you have something to say? Voice from the youth on What Say Youth. Welcome to this episode today. Hello, I'm Celeste, the host for today. And I'm Jasmine Ong. Recently, we have seen a number of flash flood incidents happen across Malaysia. Malacca, Kelantan, Selangor, Kuala Lumpur and more places had suffered huge damages. The scenario of cars submerged in water, road inundation with teams escaping from houses to seek refuge is so familiar yet alarming. Besides flash floods, other forms of natural disaster are also arising, such as increasing heat waves and unusual rainfall. All of these are the consequences of climate change. Thus, in this episode, we will discuss what climate change is and how it impacts all of us, even though we might not feel the impact directly in our daily life. Let's welcome the guest today, the Climate and Environment Consultant of UNICEF Malaysia, Jasmine Irisha. Welcome to this show. Hi. Thanks, Celeste. Thanks, Jasmine, for having me. It feels funny to say my own name again, but <laughs> hi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we have uh, two Jasmine in this show today. <laughs> yeah, so um, recently, actually, we always heard about climate change being referred to as the shift of weather patterns, the rising of water levels and temperature, the thinning of ozone layer, and many natural disasters that happened throughout the past decades. So this statement can sound really big and ambiguous. So people usually heard of this, but don't really have a clear picture of what climate change really is. So we would like to know from the United Nations, how do you guys usually define climate change? Yeah, thanks, Celeste, for the question. Um, and basically, climate change is defined in long-term shifts in temperature and weather patterns. And you're definitely right. Like, it sounds big and ambiguous, but most of the time, um, even a bit overwhelming to comprehend. Uh, but what we need to understand is that since the 1800s, uh, human activities have been the main driver and contributor of climate change, uh, which is largely caused by burning of fossil fuels like oil and gas. And the burning of these fossil fuels causes a rise in greenhouse gas emissions, which in turn causes the atmosphere to trap more heat, leading to a warmer Earth. Um, I want to point out here that the, the usual misconception is that many still think that climate change only means a warmer temperature. But in reality, climate change intensifies extreme weather events, uh, which also mean in that some region uh, where it is hot, it'll get hotter, and region where it's um, cold, it'll get uh, warm, uh, colder. Uh, and due to these um, anthropogenic or human-induced climate change, uh, some of the phenomena, like you mentioned earlier, that we can see happening now more frequently and intensely include uh, rising sea levels, flooding, catastrophic storms, severe drought and declining biodiversity. And um, I just wanted to correct you a bit earlier. You mentioned natural disasters. Um, according to the UNDRR disaster uh, risk reduction, um, there is no such thing as natural disasters because disasters now are being caused again by human-induced uh, uh, adverse climate change impacts. Um, and it is uh, something that is being uh, contributed over time. It is not natural anymore. So um, we were wondering also, are there any aspect that the public often left out when we discuss climate change? Is there any uh, aspect or the things that they not know about climate change? Yeah, so when we talk about climate change, it is important to address the intersectionalities of climate change. 
So now it's not about the science anymore. We have moved way beyond that. The climate crisis is a human rights crisis. It's a child rights crisis. And to demand specifically for climate justice is also social justice, gender justice, intergenerational justice. And we need to address how climate change threatens and impacts society. Because to some, especially those living in the global south and small island nations, it is also an existential crisis. So it's now we are always talking about climate change in a very huge impact in terms of like heat wave or drought or worsening floods. We can also see that throughout the years, um, there are a lot of worsening floods that's happening in Malaysia, and also there's tornadoes that happened in Ipoh a few months ago. So we like to know that. At a micro level, how climate change is impacting the daily life of the Malaysians right now? Thanks, Jasmine, for that question. So, we can already see the disruption of the adverse impacts of climate change in our daily lives. Um, take the recent flooding that happened, for example, in 2021. Um, the recent flooding that happened in Malaysia in December 2021 displaced an estimate of 70,000 people and nearly 50 deaths. And officials were quick to label this disastrous flooding as once in a century occurrence or once in a hundred year occurrence, right? But is it really once in a hundred years occurrence when it becomes more frequent and more often, often uh, than we expected because it happens once? in December uh, 2021, and it happened again recently, about a week ago, uh, which is right now in March. And according to experts, these types of disasters are expected to be more common in the future due to accelerated climate change. And again, uh, because of this displacement, it also affects a lot of um, livelihood. Uh, people are not able to go to work. Children are not able to go to school. Um, it impacts um, our health and also the ability for um, people to really go on uh, with their life and for them to, again, uh, build that resilience to come back. Um, it, it is a lot for them to really, really um, take charge of their situation when they feel helpless and in need in the first place. All right. So, yeah, we were talking about um, all this current situation that's happening and they will happen even more um, frequent in the future. Is there anything that you know professionals will foresee that haven't happened but might happen in Malaysia in the future as well? Yeah, so for this, uh, we will, again, we'll see more extreme weather events happening, especially here in Malaysia. Floodings will become more frequent and uh, we will experience more intense rainfall. And I think this is also where it's worth mentioning that we really have to preserve our natural forests in terms of having uh, nature-based solutions in place um, and also um, equipped with technological advancements to really address uh, these forthcoming uh, weather events um, and extreme weather patterns. Mm, yeah, so after going through the conditions that uh, Malaysians might be facing uh, in the future. So we also learned that, uh, Jasmine, you are an active advocate for the environment and sustainable developments. So I was wondering what sparks your patience in joining this sector? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, I think I started uh, fairly young. Um, if I may share my story, I grew up very closely with my grandparents, especially uh, my grandfather, who was a forester at the Forest Research Institute of Malaysia. 
And um, when we were younger, uh, he will bring my sister and I to the forest every other weekend to go and just be out there with nature. And I think that is where my sense of appreciation grew. And I guess like subconsciously over the years when I started school, I became more actively involved in environmental related initiatives and also volunteered my time with environmental NGOs. Um, and I think like it started off as, you know, an activity where I was just doing in school with a bunch of friends, finding solutions uh, to tackle environmental degradation problems. But I think it was also then when I realized that, wow, Malaysia is actually facing through very severe environmental degradation problems, like deforestation, um, loss of wildlife, biodiversity. Um, and I think uh, naturally, when I decided to pursue my degree, uh, I chose uh, environmental science as my degree of choice because I, I was just fueled by, you know, wanting to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that also the reason why you will be joining UNICEF now, right? Yeah, I mean, like, it's like mm-hmm. one thing leads to another. Um, mm-hmm. How I ended up at UNICEF was actually, I mean, again, um, when I, in retrospect, looking back um, at my past, uh, just to share a bit, I attended my first climate change, UN climate change conference mm-hmm. in 2016. That was COP22, a year Mm -hmm. after um, the Paris Agreement, which is COP21. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was very surreal being there. I mean, um, when COP21 happened, when the um, Paris Agreement um, happened, I was in my final year of studies in university. And I witnessed uh, some of my seniors um, attending the very sexy COP in Paris, right? Um, and I thought to myself, like, wow, um, I really wanted to experience that. Um, my, my interest lies in the science and policy interface. And that is something that is very aligned uh, with what I want to do. And I think the closest thing um, that I wanted to do also, even back home, is still with the United Nations. So I pursued my graduate internship at UNDP Malaysia before joining uh, UNICEF Malaysia as a climate and environment consultant. Wow, that's an interesting, you know, personal stories to hear with. And I believe that, you know, throughout the years, uh, working with the international organizations, uh, you get to learn more insight and also more information in tackling these issues. So just now you mentioned that uh, you are now in UNICEF. Uh, so can you uh, briefly share with us uh, your role in UNICEF now? Yeah, for sure. So I'm the climate and environment consultant at UNICEF, and I look at tackling the climate crisis from a child's rights perspective. Um, And what this means is that I help mobilize young people on climate action. So you will be organizing some events or related activities to like have more engagements with the young people in the communities, right? Yeah, so I work Mm. with young people on a daily basis with um, youth climate advocates and also environmental NGOs. Uh, besides that, um, I also uh, work together closely uh, based on uh, my work at UNICEF Malaysia uh, to support the government, young people, private sector partners to help develop and accelerate the implementation of child-centered climate, environmental and disaster risk recovery policies and actions. Mm, okay, then what's your opinions on the awareness of the youth nowadays? At UNICEF Malaysia, um, in 2020, UNICEF, together with UNDP, conducted a study called the um, 
National Youth Climate Change Survey, um, and this uh, the findings of this studies is being reported in the Change for Climate Report. Um, and according to this study, um, out of 1,400 respondents, roughly, it, we found that about 92% of young Malaysians, no, young people in Malaysia, think that climate change is a crisis. And uh, when we kind of probe a bit further, uh, we find out that, you know, on one end, we have young people who are really aware and are really out there taking their own individual action. Uh, but on the other hand, we have a group of young people who are quite aware, but they're also very overwhelmed and they feel very helpless when it comes to taking action against climate change. Um, and there's also this term called eco-anxiety or climate grief, mm. uh, which basically means that you are so overwhelmed by the magnitude of the situation um, that you just don't know how to act. Like the thought about climate change in itself is very, very big. Um, and how do we handle that? And by the way, I just want to put it out there, you know, if you're experiencing climate grief or eco-anxiety, uh, your feelings and emotions are totally valid. And please do talk to your peers or people around you who could help you uh, to overcome this because I do agree that sometimes it's a bit, it feels a little bit too much um, living in the world, like where we are right now, it's like yeah. crisis upon crisis, right? Mm. Climate crisis, pandemic crisis. Um, but it is also important to acknowledge that there are actions that we can take to overcome the problem. And also it is best that if we can work collectively in taking these actions together. Yeah. Yeah, it's really my first time heard of this term eco-anxiety. I would say like sometimes we do think a lot about how climate affects us, but I didn't know that you know there is also support out there that we can go for when we're feeling stress and anxiety for these situations. Yeah, so actually back in September 2021, there is a report from UNICEF about the impact of climate change on children in Malaysia. So we'd like to understand like what makes uh, you guys decided to conduct research on this because a lot of us, I would say, especially Malaysians, would not be able to see the connections uh, between children or maybe between the social issue and the climate issues together. Yeah, so you mentioned about the uh, report that we recently conducted um, and it is called The Impact of Climate Change on Children, a Malaysian Perspective. And essentially, the background of this study is that we found that children are least responsible um, for the climate crisis, but face the greatest brunt of it. And it is also really important to put forward the fact that climate crisis is a child rights crisis because the climate crisis does affect the children's ability to thrive, impacting their rights to a clean, safe, and healthy environment. And climate change um, and environmental degradation threatens a lot and erases a lot of gains that we have made on child's health and also well-being so far. I want to quote another report, which is the UNICEF's Children's Climate Change Risk Index, the CCRI, um, which states that Malaysia ranks 61st place on the least performing countries where children are at most risk of climate change vulnerabilities. So this is where we're at right now when it comes to climate change uh, risk and also vulnerabilities uh, for children. And essentially, again, uh, just to reiterate the fact that the whole reason why uh, this study was being put in place is that um, many studies exist, they do exist in Malaysia on climate change, but they don't really address its impacts on children. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So like, can you share what's the key findings from this research? So there are a couple of key findings uh, that we found from this research. Um, if I can just summarize it in six points. The key findings from the ICCC report shows that there are crucial interconnections between climate and environmental degradation and children's health and well-being in Malaysia. Firstly, we found that climate change and environmental degradation are intensifying in Malaysia. Secondly, children's rights are protected, but to varying degrees depending on societal and geographical conditions. Thirdly, accelerated climate change and environmental degradation present very serious risks for children. Fourth is that children in marginalized communities, which includes undocumented community, urban poor community, and indigenous community, are more vulnerable to climate risk and environmental risk. Uh, the fifth one, which is, while girls tend to be more vulnerable than boys, each gender are being affected differently. And last but not least is that children's rights are not, are not adequately considered in Malaysia's governance framework on climate and environment. When we're talking about children, we like to understand like what is the effects on the children? Does it really like impact the growth of a children in terms of like mental or maybe physical health of, of them? Yeah, so there are a couple of um, ways that um, climate change impact children and especially children under five are most vulnerable to the impact of climate change. And this also, as you rightly mentioned, affects the physiological aspect, but also the mental health and psychosocial aspect. All right. So as you mentioned previously, that there are also a lot of research that are done throughout the years, especially on climate change. Uh, we like to understand like how does research fuels the actions of authorities or the local people? Because a lot of times we keep seeing that there's a lot of research, but maybe there's not enough uh, action that's being done. Yeah, absolutely. So research is very important because this is where evidence generation comes in. And um, if you notice the reports that we do, um, it is done collaboratively uh, with other leading research institutions, uh, which include the University of Bangsa and Malaysia, UKM, and also UMS University of Malaysia, Sabah. So we have all these experts and thought leadership uh, put together into um, one study and they bring their own set of expertise um, and their own set of uh, knowledge and skill sets into contributing towards the outcome of this report. And it's really important for evidence generation to take place because then um, it will contribute more towards um, informing climate policies and plans and in this case, informing more child-sensitive climate policies and plans because climate change and environmental uh, risk um, does affect children's rights um, and also their development and well-being. And it is important to integrate this and address this within key policies, uh, planning and also budgeting systems in Malaysia. How do you guys work hand-in-hand with the policymaker in Malaysia in order to take actions to tackle the climate issues? Yeah, so at UNICEF, we work closely uh, with our government counterparts, uh, but also, as you rightly mentioned, we do play a convening role in terms of putting together civil society organizations and also other sectors um, in working together and informing um, uh, policies uh, when it comes to uh, communicating with the government. And also in this case, um, especially like where does youth comes in? So UNICEF also do, does provide a platform for young people uh, to take part in terms of informing key uh, policies and also uh, plans in Malaysia. 
and we hope to gather more youth and more climate and environmental related organizations to this platform um, and one of the resource hub that we put together under the Youth Environmental Living Labs Initiative, short form is YELS, uh, you can look it up online, um, which gathers about 230 um, individual entities and also organizations towards one platform where you can find um, a really uh, resourceful um, website that you can take action and also connect more in terms of strengthening um, the network and also capacity building for young people in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. So actually we can see there's uh, a lot of initiatives carried out or done by the NGOs to collectively raise the awareness of the community. So um, actually we know that climate in- issue is at stake and we can see that the certain parts of the world are facing serious issues than the others. Like we can see that the people who are paying most as a consequence are the poorest people in the world, uh, not to mention some marginalized community or group of people like maybe children are also included in these categories so how do we address the imbalance of the treatment of these people in the world yeah absolutely and you point out a very important point and it is really important to recognize that the marginalized communities are the most vulnerable to the climate crisis including children women low-income communities stateless migrants refugees and persons with disabilities This is why um, when we provide inputs to policies and plans, it's really important to have it um, done in an inclusive manner. When we do focus group discussions or also roundtable discussions, it's really important to include these voices in so Mm -hmm. that it is holistic and also it addresses specific needs when it comes to this specific uh, marginalized community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was really insightful sharing from Jasmine because sometimes when we talk about climate change we tend to you know just not to say ignore but somehow just left out some group of people who have the greatest impact of the uh, climate change so lastly what would your advice to the young people of Malaysia what would my advice be <laughs> I came across I stumbled across this very uh, interesting tweet on my timeline today by a NASA scientist his name is Peter Kamus. And in that tweet, he said that um, the most meaningful way to live your life is to become a climate activist. And I thought that was very thought-provoking. Young people in Malaysia make up about 40% of the population and they have a very powerful voice. My advice is for the young people in Malaysia to rise up collectively, to amplify each other's voices, to keep people in power accountable for their actions or inactions vote and claim your rights to a safe, clean, healthy and sustainable environment. Yeah, thanks Jasmine for your inspiring speech and also the sharing of today because yeah, we get to see a lot of things that we never thought of before and as a community that we have to learn and also grow collectively in order to tackle these issues and it takes time as well. We, we couldn't really see the impact within a short period of time and we have to keep the momentum going without you know, giving up or just uh, feelings like we are so small in these big environments. And I believe that we can collectively have an impact in tackling climate change or maybe at least to slow down 
the impact of it. So thank you, Jasmine, for your sharing today. And all of our podcasts will be uploaded to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and also Anchor. So you may find our latest episode in this various platform. So see you again in the next episode. Thank you. Do you have something to say? Voice from the youth on What Say Youth.